Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. I am joining you from the beautiful Bon Clarken uh, Retreat Center. If you're not familiar with Bon Clarken, it is the conference center that is um, owned by the uh, the ARP Church, the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. This is where we come for our national conference every year, that sort of thing, and it is in Flat Rock, North Carolina. I would say it's beautiful here, but man, alive, is it nasty outside, rainy, and in the 30s. Hopefully it's not uh, freezing to the road or anything like that. I think it's too warm for that. I think it's just one of those nasty kind of days. I don't know what it's like where you are, but I'm glad that we have this opportunity together. Let me go ahead and apologize if the quality is not very good of uh, the picture or the sound, the content, that is my fault. But if the picture and the sound are off, it's, uh, it's the internet, but we'll, uh, we will do the best that we can. Again, I welcome you, whether this is your first time or maybe you've been here lots and lots of times, no matter what it is, I'm glad you are here because today we come to a very hopeful portion of the gospel according to John, a, a wonderful promise-filled portion. Um, and it's we introduced it yesterday. We're in John chapter 14, right? Jesus, where we were yesterday, had been interacting with Philip and the other disciples too. You know, what you find is a lot of times it's one disciple that pipes up and says what a lot of the other disciples are thinking, right? It's kind of like in school, they say if somebody has a question, probably more than that one person has the same question. Generally speaking, that's true. It's not that Philip has an issue, as we saw yesterday. You know, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Philip replied to him in verse 8, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us, right? It's like, are you listening to anything I said? But it's not just Philip, y'all. Philip is indicative of what's going on with the disciples. Realize they just don't understand. And before we take it out on them, before we're too hard on them, y'all, we approach the subject of Jesus' life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, what he's doing right now. We approach this with the entirety of God's word. Right? There are things that we know and understand, not only from the word, but from teaching, from even popular society. Y'all, somebody that's never been to church um, has a basic understanding of, a lot of people have a basic understanding of who Jesus is. There is still a certain degree of cultural literacy, especially in the United States, that involves Jesus, that involves the Bible. They didn't have this. Realize the New Testament didn't exist when all of this was going on. John is writing this at the end of his life. Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote a little bit earlier, but nevertheless, y'all, they didn't have the New Testament. The New Testament was being written. All they had was the Old Testament. They had the prophecies. They had the things that they were supposed to be looking for. They had all the promises of God about what the Messiah would do. But in the heat of the moment, y'all, they, they don't understand. Also, we have something else that was promised to them. If you are a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And y'all, this is no small thing. For reason number one, the Holy Spirit is God taking up residence in you to help you understand, to help you see, to help you know the truth, right? The Holy Spirit lived amongst them but had not yet indwelled them. They had not yet received the Spirit. 
That's what Jesus is talking about, where we ended yesterday and where we come to today. So um, without any further delay, let me pray and we'll dig in and see this wonderful promise about the Holy Spirit, yes, but also this wonderful promise about what Jesus is going to do. Let's go to the Lord now. Our God and our Father, as we come to your word, we pray that you would guide us in it, that you would give us grateful hearts as we approach your word. Um, Father, of all the gifts that you have given, certainly you love the world so much that you gave your one and only son. Um, and yet, Father, in giving your one and only son to purchase our redemption, you have also given us your spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Yes, but also as the advocate, as the counselor, as the helper, as you dwelling within us to guide us, to show us the way. So please, by your Holy Spirit, help us to understand what is being said here and what is not being said here. So please guide us now, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so where we left off the last time, and I just you know, barely, barely scratched the surface of it when we were together yesterday. Um, but let's pick up in John 14, verse 12. You know, again, Jesus is comforting. Jesus is teaching. Jesus is addressing Philip here, because Philip is the one that said, Lord, again, uh, verse 8, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us, right? We talked all about that yesterday, but where we're picking up is at the end of, of that interaction in this section, okay? Verse 12, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith, <clears throat> excuse me, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. All right. Now, as I said, we got to be careful to see what the Bible says, but what the Bible also does not say. Let's uh, deconstruct this a little bit here. What is Jesus doing here? Remember previously... John 14, at the very beginning of the chapter, Jesus talks about the fact that, and, excuse me, at the end of John 13, leading into John 14, Jesus is very transparent about the fact that he's about to die. He's going to be raised again, but he's also transparent about the fact that after he's raised again, he's going to depart from them. In the beginning of John 14, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many rooms or many mansions. Uh, if it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place, I'm going to come back so that I can bring you to where I am, right? I'm paraphrasing all of that. So at the beginning of John 14, Jesus makes that promise that even though he's departing, he's going to come back. But here we see that Jesus makes the promise, and, and this is going to be backed up by what we're about to read in this new section that we come to today. But Jesus also makes the promise that not only is he going to come back, he's not going to leave them alone in the meantime. And as a result, the things that they're going to do through faith in him are going to be just amazing. Now, question, what does he mean that you're going to do even greater things than I did? And who is he talking to? Right? This is very hotly debated. There are those that say that he's talking about the same exact kinds of miracles, that he is talking only to the disciples when he says this. Y'all, 
not the case. Okay, not the case and not the case. When Jesus talks about doing greater things than I'm doing, what remember what Jesus talked about more than anything else. You know what Jesus talked about more than anything else? He talked about the kingdom of God more than anything else. How the kingdom of God would be coming in all of its fullness. It was there, yet it was still coming, okay? What Jesus is talking about is kingdom building here, number one. Number two, realize that he's talking about magnitude. You know, as Jesus preaches and teaches and performs the miracles, he is constantly trying to get people um, to follow him. And I'm not trying to paint some picture of a weak Lord or anything like that, y'all. What he's doing, he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. He is telling people to have faith. He is pleading with people to turn to him and to trust in him, to recognize who he is. When he says that you're going to do greater things than me, Y'all, he's talking about the building of the church, ultimately, because otherwise we would have to say, okay, well, then that means that we're not going to just raise Lazarus from the dead. We'll raise everybody from the dead, right? Or we'll be able to feed 10,000 men with one piece of bread and and a half a fish. Y'all, don't fall into that trap. A lot of times that interpretation is used to exploit people. You know how it's used to exploit people? Um, Because Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. Preachers will say, well, the reason that you're not raising people from the dead, and they never talk about the fact that they ain't either. But nevertheless, they say the reason that you're not doing greater things than Jesus is because you don't have enough faith. And you don't have enough faith because you don't trust. And the best way to trust God is to trust him with the very real side of life. You should trust him with your finances. And the best way to trust God with your finances is to remember that everything belongs to the Lord. So you ought to give everything to the Lord. And by the way, I'm his representative. So you should just give it to me. Right. That's how this works, y'all. Or a book is sold or some idea of a higher plane of spirituality. If you follow these steps or if you chant this mantra and it's always something new, y'all, it's this name it and claim it garbage. What we are called to do is rely on the spirit. That's it. And Jesus is about to make the promise of the coming spirit. We're to live in Christ. And we live in Christ through submitting to the Holy Spirit, through receiving the Spirit, and then leaving a, not leaving, living a Spirit-led life. What that looks like is humble reliance on the Word. Um, What it looks like is what Jesus is about to say next in verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command, right? It's about humble submission. It's also about letting the spirit work. It's also about spiritual warfare and rebuking demons. We're going to get to all this stuff as we continue along. But nevertheless, that's what this first does not mean, right? That if you believe in Jesus, you're going to be doing greater miracles than Jesus did. He's not just talking to the disciples. He's talking to all of his people everywhere across time. He's talking about the building of the church and how he's the Lord of the harvest. And he comes back to a field full of wheat. There are tares. There's weeds that have to be separated. But he comes back to a field full of wheat. We know from Romans 11 that something's going to happen, right? The full number of Gentiles are going to come in and then something's going to happen with ethnic Jewish people. We don't know what that is. Paul's very vague about that. We know it's going to happen because God's word promises it. 
These are amazing things. When Jesus talks about things happening greater than what he did, he came unto his own, but his own would not receive him. And I know that's prophecy, and this is not about Jesus being weak or anything like that. This is about God's plan being executed and the fact that God loves us so much he lets us be part of it. It's amazing. It's incredible. But this is for all believers, for all times, but it all starts with faith in Christ. Now, what do we do about this last part? <clears throat> and I will, verse 13, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. What do we do with that? Again, this has been exploited. It's been exploited by people that would say, oh, well, you need greater faith. The reason that the, 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 the things that you're not asking for aren't happening is because you don't believe enough. Now, let's be clear. Faith is required. We should pray expectantly. But y'all, what this is really referring to is being in the will of God. You know, there's an extremely important caveat that Jesus throws in there when he says, ask for anything and I'll do it. He doesn't say that. He says, you may ask me for anything in my name. Y'all, this gets down to the core of what it means to belong to God. It gets down to the core of the commandment, you shall not take my name in vain. Y'all, what this is indicative of is, is living in the will of God and asking for those things that will glorify God, but also having the, what's the word that I'm looking for? having the, the frame of reference, having the mindset that God always answers prayers that are within his will, but it all always doesn't follow our timeline, right? You know, the saints, believers in Christ have prayed and prayed and prayed for generations that Jesus would come back, and those prayers would be answered. They weren't answered in the exact timeline in which they were prayed and hoped for, but they will be answered, that prayer will come to fruition. Jesus doesn't put an expiration date on prayer here, you see. Keep that in mind. He doesn't put an expiration date on prayer, and he also doesn't put a delivery expectation on prayer. Jesus is not Amazon, right, where it's two days free shipping, okay? Jesus answers in his time. But you see, if you're living in faith by the Spirit, you understand that and you're okay with it. You may not like it all the time, but you understand that God's will is best. That's what it means to do these things in Jesus's name. And furthermore, that ought to tell you something about the kind of prayers that you're praying. You know, I've, I've, I've jokingly talked about, you know, praying that you can have success in knocking off a liquor store. In Jesus' name, that doesn't mean that you're going to be able to rob the place with impunity, right? That's also praying for selfish things doesn't fall into this. If you're praying in Jesus' name, then it is for the glory of God and the kingdom of God, not for your kingdom. That's how this works. It's not an escape clause for Jesus. It's simply showing what it means to know and love the Lord. To that end, we find John 14, 15. That famous verse, a lot of famous verses in John, but John 14, 15, where we pick up today, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. 
and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Now, we're going to talk about the counselor to be with you forever, but we dare not just skip over verse 15. Y'all, we live in a strange time when it comes to love. You know, love in the modern day context has been affected by romanticism, by idealism, by all these different isms, right? And love has been reduced to an emotion. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying that love does not have an emotional aspect to it. Um, if you were at Old Providence this past week, and I had a conversation with one of our members yesterday, if you were at Old Providence this week, the last hymn that we sang, I, I believe that the, the, the Spirit was filling me, and I had such an overwhelming sense of, of the Lord at work and, and other things going on too, but I got extremely emotional during the last hymn. I couldn't even sing it. And it's one of my favorites, Be Thou My Vision. It's it's probably my uh, my number two or number three favorite hymn. But nevertheless, there is an emotional side to love. In terms of, of life, there's a romantic side to love, but that can never, ever replace the action side of love. You know, love is not something that you fall into or out of, like a chair, okay? Um, love is not something that you can take on and then put off. If you can put it off, then it's not really love. Love is an action. And in this time where there's all these twisted views of Scripture, Right. Where it's like God, the father is the God of the Old Testament. And he's full of wrath and all these things. But Jesus is the kinder, gentler God of the New Testament. And you got the Doobie Brothers. You know, Jesus is just all right with me kind of mentality out there that Jesus would never judge anybody. Jesus would never fill in the blank. You know, the Jesus seminar. Right. I think that was back in the 60s or 70s. All these scholars from all these famous colleges and universities and seminaries got together to discuss who Jesus really is. And they went through all the red letter statements in the Bible, everything Jesus said, and they voted on whether or not Jesus really said it. It's like, who are you to determine what's really in the Bible and what's not? But nevertheless, it was said of them that they went to the well to find Jesus. And they looked in and found him. Do you get what that means? If you look into the bottom of a well and it's got water in it, what do you see? Well, you see your own reflection. In other words, they went looking for Jesus, and lo and behold, Jesus looked exactly like them. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. And in terms of loving Jesus, that's not what the Bible requires. Jesus tells us what it is to really love him. And it's not this modern worship garbage of God, Daddy, Jesus, Brother, other. it's not any of that stuff. If you love him, you'll do what he says. Because if you love him, you'll understand that he loves you. You'll understand that what he says is what's best. You'll have a desire to fulfill that which Christ wants you to fulfill. You'll have a desire, if you love him, to not offend him by breaking his word. It comes down to that general principle that God never condones what his word forbids, ever. It comes down to that basic principle that what you do is what you are. 
And I say that with a heavy heart because I know that I blow it. I know that I don't do this perfectly. But y'all, that's why Jesus came in the first place, right? To redeem us of our sins. That's why we have this relationship with him. He's the mediator between us and God. He's the, the intercessor, the go-between. He purchased our redemption, and, and, and by his blood, we are cleansed. But because that's the case, we ought to want to serve him. We ought to want to follow him, to be faithful to him. And when we do this, y'all, what we see is his love on display for us. Now, how do we do it? Well, this is what the next verse is about. I wanted to get further today. I'm already 20 minutes in, so we'll end here. But nevertheless, in verse 16, Jesus says, after he tells them to obey his commands, he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Counselor is a good word here. I don't know what translation you're using, but counselor is here in the 1984 NIV other translations use term like advocate, and both of those are fine. We'll talk about what this means tomorrow. But in the meantime, examine yourself. Examine yourself to determine if you are in God's will. Examine yourself to see whether you really love Jesus. And y'all, this is hard. I'm telling you, it is difficult contemplative work, but it's good work. It's fulfilling work. So take the time to do that today. All right, let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank you so much for all of the teachings of your word, for all of its promises, for the glories of belonging to Christ. Oh, Father, that we would love you more and more, that we would love your son, that we would love your spirit, that, that we would have lives focused on following you for what you desire for us is best. Thank you for your grace and for your mercy when we don't do this. Please work in our hearts, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. If indeed everything did work today, and I see comments, so it must have. There's Christine, good morning, and Becky and Elizabeth, and there's Alice, good morning, and the other Becky, and there is Frank. And uh, again, thank you all so much. Lord willing, we'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day.